Howdy, folks, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Larson. And I'm Kirsten Michael. We both work for the Fremont County Museum System, located in the heart of West Central Wyoming, where mountains and sagebrush deserts make up our backyards, and history goes deeper than our uranium mines. As always, this episode is brought to you by Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college for children, or grandchildren, or just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care about most, work with Mick to develop specific strategies to help you achieve your goals. He can also help you monitor your progress to make sure you stay on track and determine if any adjustments need to be made. So this is a very special episode for a few reasons, and instead of starting off with our normal introductions, we just wanted to give a shout out to all of our listeners right off the bat, because not only is this the first episode of a new year, but it marks the one-year anniversary of Rediscover the Winds. And since it's a new year, we have to stick with tradition and reminisce about the last 12 months. Yeah. Oh, man. It's been 12 months. Yeah. Actually, it's been longer than that since you came up with the idea of a podcast. Planning this since, what was it, like October, November of the year before? and Like November 2018 is yeah. when you suggested it at a staff meeting. And then we uh, worked on it and we acquired the necessary rock band microphones from thrift stores. And mm-hmm. I'll never get tired of telling people that. I know. That was, uh, we've, we've come a little ways. We, uh, we now have a really nice studio, but yeah, those, those first, you know, our first episode we recorded, I, I was a little under the weather (laughs) and, uh, and it took like all day to record like a 12 minute episode. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. We've we've gotten a little better at that. Oh, we'll just wing it. We're both good at talking. And then we learned that eh, maybe a little bit of a script helps and we've come to rely on it a little bit less, but, uh, every once in a while it's fun to listen to parts of our early episodes and, I don't know about fun. It's cringeworthy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So our new listeners are probably like, whoa, what are they listening to? Yeah. yeah you got to check out our first couple episodes if you haven't um, and hear just how how great they sound. Then we managed to, we, we eventually acquired some new microphones and then literally three weeks later, not even, we got a call from these, the fine folks at County 10, the 10 cast and uh, now we record in the Porter's Tin Cast Studio, unless we happen to be in Denver or on some other on-location mm-hmm. site. So uh, we've got this great studio, and uh, it's been really kind of a a fun experience for us pioneering podcasting in Wind River Country. For sure, we've come a long way. Yeah. I, I don't miss the Riverton attic. No I, offense, it's Mr. Director of Riverton Museum. I don't either. Yeah. So, so what is what's your favorite part about doing this podcast? Um, it's a fun creative outlet for me. And it also, I've learned a lot about our local history that even growing up here, I'd never would have known otherwise. Um, in, in both in researching and, and then reading about the stuff that you've researched and, and written uh, a lot of stuff that I would have never in a million years <laughs> known. Yeah. It's kind of funny. We'll be planning exhibits. And I'll be like, there's so much information I want to put in this exhibit, but I can't, I'll just save it for a podcast episode right. later. So uh, if you want more, there's always exhibits that talk about, podcast stuff and vice versa so mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, a, it's the topics that we spend our job working on mm-hmm. okay so yeah last year we started in the riverton attic we moved into the 10 cast porter studio we've taken our podcast on the road to denver we'll see how far we get this year um but what do we hope to do in the future do we have any goals right now just continue to grow and i you know our, our response has been really good i think we're gonna just you know incorporate one thing I need to be better at is the whole social media stuff that I... Yeah, get am, on my level. I am slightly too old to be good at social media. 
oh man well even i have yeah. issues with social media just because there are so many accounts to like yeah. deal with but and then tiktok is a thing man don't 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 open the door to tiktok because now i watch it way too much it's I, yeah it's 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 those Gen Z whippersnappers. Those whippersnappers, all you youths. Yeah. But eh, I'm also on the cusp of, am I too old for these things? Am I too young for these things? But <laughs> luckily, podcasts tend to appeal to a lot of different age ranges. Yeah. So that's where we come in. Yeah, if you're 8 or 80 or 800, mm-hmm. listen to a podcast. We try to answer all of the questions that we can possibly come up with mm-hmm. in this podcast. And if you guys have any questions you want answered or parts of history explored, send us a message on our Facebook page or contact us at one of our museums. Because, you know, we're trying to plan out this year's podcasting topics and it's taking a little while because there's so many options, but sometimes there's things we haven't even thought about yet. So if you, if you want to hear there's something you're interested in learning about, uh, drop us a line. We'd probably be more than happy to do a podcast episode about it. Mm -hmm. And if you're local, we could probably even have you on as a guest host. Yeah. Don't let that scare you, though. It's pretty easy. You just come and talk. Yeah. Don't tell. Any, don't have anybody tell you this is a hard gig. <laughs> I'm lying. It is very hard. Mostly just stay organized. Yeah. Anyway, so this is a new year. We have lots of things planned. We'll see where we end up. But so it's January 2020. It's a new decade. We're sitting in the very nice Porter Studio, Porter's 10-cast studio, yeah. recording instead of the dusty Riverton attic with a set of new episodes to release for our listeners in this new year. Some are set in stone, some are not yet. It'll be fun to see where 2020 takes us. Yeah, and, and apart from being a new decade, uh, 2020 is, well, all those things that it brings. It's a census year, it's a presidential election. Um, but like I said, mostly it's a census year, and uh, all those things wrapped up into one 12-month period. Yeah, and because of it being a census year, we decided to take a deeper look at what is a federal census, why it's important, as well as the population booms and busts of Wyoming, what causes them, and the bigger impact they have on the legacy of our state. Yeah, Yeah, we'll be doing several episodes about census-related topics this year, and we're really excited about them. And, uh, well, as the the saying goes, blink and you miss it. It's what they say about a lot of Wyoming towns. It's not unusual to be driving down a road and pass through a dilapidated intersection and see a rundown gas station and an old billboard for a restaurant that no longer exists. And this phenomenon is not necessarily unique to Wyoming. It just seems that way sometimes thanks to our state's economic and in, well, it's economic dependence on the energy industry, which is an industry notorious for boom and bust cycles. If anybody looks at the gas prices on a weekly basis, you can see it. Um, But in recent years and to this day, Wyoming's governments, business councils, and other stakeholders are trying to build in additional areas besides natural resources. And they're actually looking at areas of tourism and recreation, knowledge and creative industries, agricultural industries, and advanced manufacturing. So while we've depended on the energy industries for a while, we're trying to branch out. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I grew up in the energy industry, and I think something that it's really easy when energy booms... They go crazy. They spend all kinds of money. And you can be very comfortable having an economic reliance on the energy industry if you're smart enough to save and diversify in the lean years or in in the good years and and then, you know, tighten your belt and stuff on the lean years. But that's something that that Wyoming and as a state, it's 
it, it's taken a little while to learn, but I think hopefully it's getting a little bit better at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Zach said, it's taken a while for these other areas to receive some attention, but I mean, gold, timber, uranium, coal, oil, bentonite, natural gas, all these things are super significant to the Wyoming's economy um, and state dependence on these resources have led to some some seriously nice glory days for sure, which has allowed the state to grow and live under its tenements of independence, freedom, and bootstrap morales. When the markets for those resources, though, take a dive, uh, Wyoming hurts. Our own Fremont County has witnessed the consequences of these downfalls numerous times and suffered with the repercussions. Yeah, even in Wyoming's young days as a territory, natural resources were really what drove people to come to and leave Wyoming. The search for gold in the 1860s and 70s left many ghost towns sitting around Wyoming, Kerwin and um, South Pass City and some of the other places. I think there's one called Hamilton or Miner's Delight. There's Miner's Delight for sure. Yeah, all these ghost towns are just kind of sitting in Wyoming mountains um, because of the gold industry that dried up pretty quickly. Um, while the more recent timber and uranium industry bus created empty neighborhoods almost overnight. We had the gentleman a few months ago come in and talk about the Gas Hills community yeah. and just how the closing and ending of that industry really impacted the whole town. But this episode, we'll be looking at population swings and census records as they relate to good old Dubois. That was episode 14, by the way, if you're curious. Uh, the uranium Gas yep. Hills community? Yeah, episode 14. So this episode is, we're looking specifically at uh, population swings as they relate to Dubois. We're going to look at other areas and communities in Wind River, Wind River Country in other episodes later this year. Because the whole year is the census year, so yeah. we might as well... Stretch that out. Yeah, milk it for all it's worth. That's right. Dubois really felt the impact of fluctuating populations in the 1930s, 40s, and 80s. In the 30s, Dubois was a happening place with the population booming and lots of gambling, drinking, and dancing going on despite Prohibition and the Great Depression being in full swing. Uh, Dubois in the 1920s actually saw a 3% dip in population, but in the 1930s, it experienced a 9% increase in population. I love the internet. That's where you can find like all of this information. Mm -hmm. But also, you can find a lot of this information in the museum archives, just talking about like newspaper articles and how many people left. And oh, Man, old newspapers are also excellent because literally you have everything from Mrs. So-and-so had tea for the local ladies on this yeah. day and they served crumpets along with like other like um, the elk population is threatening cattle and mm-hmm. other more significant things than tea time. Um, but one reason for the uptick in activity during the uh, early 1930s and through actually throughout the 1930s was the consistent demand for railroad ties coming from the national forest around Dubois. So railroad ties also called cross ties also called a lot of other things, but I just call them ties. Um, were really significant again, exports from Dubois. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but, and that whole industry started in the early 1900s. We've done a few episodes on tie hacking industry and ties. So if you want more information, go look at those episodes or come to the Dubois Museum where we have exhibits on the stuff. Um, But during World War I, the U.S. government had nationalized most of the country's railroads in 1917-1918, and they did this in response to the increased demand for wartime transportation. But when they ended the Railroad Control Act of 1918 in March 1920, they left behind track systems in desperate need of repairs when when that happened. They just kind of were like, well, we're done with it, so it's the private company's 
business to go fix them up. So subsequently, the Chicago and Northwestern Transportation Company or the Chicago and Northwestern uh, Railroad Company or the CNNW kind of thing, they go by a lot of names, which operated the railways in Fremont County and across the country. They had about 5,000 miles of track, I think, at one point. They needed millions of new railroad ties to replace the old and damaged ones. And so the CNNW called on the tie hacks of Dubois and the Wyoming Tie and Timber Company, the logging company that operated in this area, to supply the needed ties. And so not only this, but a lot of federal work program projects took place around Dubois during the 1930s, like the Civilian Conservation Corps, the CWA, and a bunch of other acronyms that I can't remember what they actually stand for. Alphabet Soup. Um, Roosevelt's alphabet soup kind of policies, but a lot of those federal programs happened in and around Dubois. Um, a lot of the national parks saw a lot of programs like this. So there was just a lot of people coming through and staying and spending money in these mountain towns, including Dubois. And according to primary sources, newspaper articles, and oral histories from people who lived then, Dubois had so many people in the town during the 1930s that the town actually hosted not one, but two annual carnivals during that decade. And those are some interesting stories. We could probably do a really interesting podcast episode just on the interesting carnivals of the 1930s Dubois. But unfortunately, this boom of population and relative prosperity in the 1930s was actually interrupted by World War II, which is something you wouldn't think about because normally, according to history books, World War II brought on a boom of industry and kind of ended the Great Depression. But for Dubois, kind of had an opposite effect. Um, The 1940s saw a dip of 4% in population of Dubois, mostly because the young men and women went off to serve in the war, while others left to work in war industries. And so, according to some population data we have at the Dubois Museum, the town of Dubois had around 412 people living in it during 1940, but only had 243 people by 1943. So they lost about half the population. So... Still, unlike the town, the timber camps and the town of Dunor up Union Pass, who were the homes of all the loggers and the people cutting railroad ties, actually had over 400 people, men, women, and children, during most of that decade. Wow. So, interestingly enough, the town of Dubois was measured um, separately from the town, the Tyhack town, because of reasons. I'm not entirely sure why, but that's how we have the records. Um, But the timber industry really kept a nice buffer around Dubois for a good long while until the 1980s. And what happened in the 1980s? Dun, dun, dun. We don't have a colored button for that sound. We should. Um, What didn't happen is actually a great question. So the railroad industry had taken a steep dive during the 1950s, and the Chicago and Northwest had started to significantly reduce its Wyoming and Western operations before then and during then. Um, This meant ties were no longer in significant demand. And so the sale of pulpwood for paper production kept the lumber industry afloat for a while, but forest service logging policies had been changing through the years, beginning with amount of timber allowed to be cut and then forbidding sawmills to operate within forest boundaries. And so it really all just combined for a beautiful bust. Um, And so in 1988, The Louisiana Pacific Lumber Mill, which was, I think, like at that point, the third lumber mill or lumber company to operate in Dubois, uh, closed its doors in Dubois and put about 200 people out of work. Um, My boss, Dubois native Johanna Thompson, remembers that one day her class at school was full and the next half of the students were just gone. Um, Their parent 
slash parents had lost their jobs. They had to move away, leaving town emptier than ever. And for the last 20 years, the population of Dubois has lingered just under a thousand permanent residents. Um, more information about the logging industry, episodes 11 and 12. We talked about that a little while ago. Anyway, subsequently, our county and those all around the state have an interesting history with population fluctuations. Uh, a recent post on the Dubois Museum's Facebook page illustrates that fact pretty vividly. The post has ima- an image of a map put together by researchers that pinpoint every location in Fremont County where enough people have lived or passed through that it qualified for its own U.S. post office, and there are more than 50 towns marked on it. And while not all of these towns were active at the same time, many of them were. But as various boom and bust cycles came through, the current number of census-designated places and towns in Fremont County now sits at 14. That's it. And then you can include 13 unincorporated locations for a total of 27 population densities of significance. And this definition of significance is at least like 50 people. And that might even be kind of a generous number. Um, And we'll see if that changes with the, uh, the upcoming year's federal census. Yeah. So the federal population census is actually mandated by Article 1, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution. Um, And so this says in the U.S. Constitution, right, with all the other, you know, U.S. Constitution laws and things like freedom of speech, freedom of press, right to bear arms, all those things. So among all these super important things, our founding fathers decided that it was absolutely imperative that we take a census, a national census, every 10 years. And so the first federal population census was taken in 1790, more than a year after the inauguration of President George Washington. And the 1790 census had six main questions set forth by a special committee appointed by the first federal Congress. They asked things like uh, information on gender, race, name, and relationship to the head of household, name of the head of household, and uh, the number of slaves, if any, enumerators, or census takers in some states went beyond those questions to collect data on occupation and the number of dwellings in a city or town. These days, the census is a little more expanded and detailed. Unfortunately, though, uh, data from more census, more recent censuses, census, census, multiple census, I don't know, are they're not actually available after 1940. Um, so that's 1940 census is the last data that was revealed to the public uh, in detail. And that is because of a law passed in 1978 that restricts the publication of personally identifiable information for 72 years. Why 72? That's a good question, too. Uh, The most common explanation is that 72 years was the average lifespan in 1978, although that's mostly speculation. Uh, It really just means we still have two more years to wait for the next batch of census data to drop into public hands. You mean we don't know why the government does the things that it does sometimes? And it's smarter people than me that (laughs) try and figure it out. Um, 2020 data collected by the census determines the number of seats each state has in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, a bit of a spoiler alert, Wyoming's probably going to stay at one probably. representative. Don't see that changing anytime soon, um, which is actually great because we are better represented in Congress than anybody else in any other state. Ironic. I know. It's great. This also used to distribute billions of federal funds to local communities. So this data helps with all of that. Yeah, and I actually just heard on, uh, I don't know, some radio talk show um, that there is $1.5 trillion of federal money that's like the census impacts on where it goes. So 
it's super impressive or super important that this, uh, so this is us doing our civic duty by telling our listeners to fill out those forms that will be coming to your mailboxes over the next few months because little old Wyoming wants some of that money. Yeah, as much of it as we can get. Um, so when, interestingly enough, the 2020 census is a year of firsts. It officially begins on January 21st in Tuxk Bay, Alaska. I have no idea how to yeah. Tuxk Bay. I'm so sorry, anybody from Alaska. Yeah. I mean, Wyoming has some weird names too, but. Yeah, like Matitsi. Yeah, which has like five E's and yeah. a silent S. Yeah, we're just going to call it Talk Soup Bay. Yeah, Alaska. Um, more than two months before Census Day is when it starts. And Census Day is on April 1st. And it's the, the first one. So uh, this is also the first census to allow all U.S. households to respond online or over the phone. So that's kind of, you know, welcome to 1995 Census Bureau. <laughs> I guess. It is really interesting, though, to think this is the first census that's like, it's being taken in the age of social media. Like mm. Facebook existed in the early two, mid 2000s, I guess. And, but now we have Facebook and Instagram and there's just so much more information permeating our brains right now. Yeah. And so it'll be really interesting to, to kind of see how many people do respond online. Mm-hmm. You can also call in for the first time. They'll have an 800 number that you can call in and talk to people about. Um, and the census is actually going to be offered in a few different languages too, not just English. Wow. So... They really want your information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do. I remember uh, 10 years ago, wow, I was living in Three Forks, Montana, and I uh, I kept just putting off my census stuff. You know, I got in the mail, and I didn't, didn't do it. I was always at work when the door knockers came, and so finally my landlord just, like, gave them all my information. So don't be like me. <laughs> They'll find out somehow. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I mean, I think the census is a really interesting thing and and we'll get into this more later on in the year um but people especially who do family history research find census data to be absolutely imperative so um you know i census stuff is really interesting we're we're going to take a lot of deep dives into different aspects of that as the year progresses Mm -hmm. and that's going to be really really great well we think it is. We hope you guys think it's really great, too, and that you've enjoyed listening to us chit-chat about population booms and busts and swings and things like that in Wyoming. Uh, so thank you very much to our listeners for sticking with us through this episode of Rediscover the Winds. If you're new to this show, check out some of our more than 20 previous episodes. Make sure you subscribe to hear all of those as well as all of our new episodes. We've got a bunch more episodes planned for you guys. Like, like we said earlier, we're working on our, our episodes for this coming year. If you have suggestions, we'd love to hear them. But next month, we're going to step aside from the census and talk about another 20s topic. We're celebrating 100 years since the Roaring Twenties broke out. So bust out your feathered headbands, your pinstripe suits, and uh, your flapper dresses. We are going to explore the Roaring Twenties in Fremont County and Wyoming. It'll be a great time. Yeah. It's gonna be, and actually... We'll get to this in the events later, but we've got a really sort of related event coming up at the Riverton Museum. Spoilers. I know. Well, if you liked what you heard today, like us on Facebook at Rediscover the Winds, and you can also catch episodes of our podcasts as well as other happenings on our YouTube page, our Stitcher page, our Spotify, yada, yada, yada. We're also on 10Cast, County 10's podcast network check them out and if you haven't subscribed to our podcast or anybody else's podcast on county 10 um, you can do so 
wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. We're on, as far as I know, we're on every single platform that exists. So find us. It's not that hard. Just if you, even if you just Google rediscover the winds will be like the first thing that comes up. So we have a lot of upcoming events. One of them that I alluded to, we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, and like a few, uh, seconds. few seconds and these events are free and open to the public. These first events are part of our Wyoming community bank sponsored discovery speaker series. And, and the first one of the year is second oh, one of the year. We're doing one, one the but by the time it airs, it'll already have happened and you missed out, but it's Dang. at the museum in Riverton. I thought the Dubois museum was going to get bragging rights anyway. Yeah. So on January 23rd at the Dubois museum, we are going to host Todd Gunther of central Wyoming college. Uh, he will be presenting a summary of five years of archaeological, whoa, archaeological reconnaissance. We probably could have worded that better. Um, in the Dinwoody and Wind River uh, mountain range area. So these researchers searched for and found prehistoric occupation sites at high elevations. It's actually really significant on uh, and has really awesome impacts on what we know about prehistoric people's lives and where they lived and how high up did they actually live. So... It's free and open to the public on Thursday, January 23rd at 7. So see you there. All right. Um, and then just as our own event, we're doing our annual murder mystery party at the Riverton Museum. If you have Valentine's Day plans, cancel them because it's going to be way lamer than what we're about to tell you about. Basically, it's a 1920s themed murder mystery party. We're going to have, uh, it's, it's, it's a great whodunit that's got corrupt cops and dirty politicians and mobsters this event is, I mean, it, it's a killer every year. And this year we've already sold out a lot of our, uh, a lot of our packets. And uh, we, we do have some left. We've got a few major characters and then some generic characters. And if you just want to come hang out and uh, you're not really in the mood for like a speaking part, we can arrange that as well. Uh, tickets are $40 and that includes dinner. And that is on Valentine's Day, February 14th, starting at about 5.30 in the afternoon. At the Riverton Museum? At the Riverton Museum. It'll be a party for sure. So thanks for listening to this Wyoming History Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten, from the Dubois Museum and Wind River Historical Center. I'm Zach from the Riverton Museum. And we look forward to continuing this adventure to rediscover the winds with you next time. Music on this episode comes from the 1980 Wyoming Old Time Fiddle Contest held in Shoshone.